so we're going to continue in a series for this week and next week. It'll be the last week in the series. It's called Use Your Words. Um, I kind of want to get you guys up to speed if you haven't been here in the last few weeks, but we've been talking about um, why, why we would spend time talking about this. I've told you a little bit about, you know, the concern I had uh, with uh, the culture and what we're seeing inside and outside of the church. But uh, today I just want to remember a little bit about what we've talked about so far uh, the first is that as Christians, we have the opportunity to always have an answer. I, I, I'm actually amazed you, you know, get these kids up here and we start asking questions of what this means. Maybe we wonder, is, is it effective? Are we effectively teaching the children what the scriptures say? But then from the mouths of these children, they articulate what the scriptures say. So awesome, right? Then the other thing, I don't know if you noticed it this morning or not, but uh, the second week we talked about, so that was the first week was have an answer, always have an answer. And the second week was uh, ask great questions. Right? Not saying I did a great job of asking questions, but you can just keep asking questions. Well, what does that mean? Why do you believe that? What do you think about this? And we talked about how uh, sometimes we're afraid to even ask questions, which is probably unreasonable to function that way. We should probably be more comfortable than most with asking questions. We shouldn't be afraid of asking questions. And then today we're going to continue that thought then. So you've got always have an answer and then ask great questions. That's how we can use our words effectively, and today we're going to talk about having hard conversations. I've actually come to believe, as a follower of Jesus myself, that this is one of the most poignant opportunities we have as believers in Jesus, is to enter into hard conversations. I think the truth is, I don't know if you're like me, I'm, I'm, I'm totally like this, I'm not just up here as an illustration, it's true. I'm often afraid to have a hard conversation. These hard conversations come in many, many forms, Right? I think I most distinctly noticed this when, as a parent when I realized that there are times as a parent that we have to have hard conversations with our children we don't want to have. As I've, I've grown, I've realized that there are times that we have to have hard conversations with our, our parents, right? So if you're a child here today and you're not a parent yet, you probably have a parent. Hard conversations to have with your parents or maybe a hard conversation to have with a coworker, uh, a boss, or someone who is at your under your management or your leadership. Maybe it's a hard conversation with a friend. See, sometimes we talk about stuff about an inch deep, I think, and we just don't ever bother going deeper because we're afraid. And so today I'm going to encourage us uh, from Scripture to, to enter into having hard conversations as part of using our words. I'm going to read uh, some scripture with you if you would uh, do this together. It would be super cool. Uh, this is our kind of main verse we're going to hang on today, okay? We're going to jump around a little bit, but this is the main verse we're going to hang on. We're going to come back to it in depth in a moment. But this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says these simple words in the middle of instruction on Christian living, in the middle of this great section of scripture about how to live a Christian life, he says these simple words. He says, instead... Speaking the truth in love. Now, if you're an astute Bible scholar, you'll say, well, Pastor Bill, that's not the whole verse. You're right. We're going to get the whole verse. But that's how it opens. There's a hinge point. And so I want us to say it together, if you would. Say these words with me. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Paul hangs it out there as an alternative lifestyle to what maybe we have a tendency to do even as believers in Jesus Christ. Let's read that again together. Instead, speaking the truth in love. So much in that one verse. So much in there. Let's read it one more time. 
instead speaking the truth in love. Let's pray, and let's talk about what the scriptures have to say about these conversations. Jesus, we thank you so much for the truth that you bring to our lives. We thank you so much that you invite us into a conversation of faith, and you include us, that you speak to us, and and that we can speak to you, and we can hear and listen to you. We thank you so much for your word that you gave to us. We thank you for the scriptures that you inspired, and our hearts and minds that you softened to be open to truth. And we pray today that that our our time of worship, our, our work of worship, would be a continuation of our discovery of who you are. We thank you so much for the powerful example you set by giving yourselves that we might know you intimately as friends, and that we might taste and see that you are good. We, I pray today, Father, for whatever's happening in our lives, that in this time we could stop and just listen, listen to your word, listen to your spirit, that you would teach us and change us because we've paid attention. May you be glorified as we expound your word together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to kind of run through some principles this morning that I've pulled out. We're going to come back to Ephesians in a moment, but we're actually going to start in a different, um, a different place. Uh, we're going to start in the Gospel of Matthew. Because I find this really interesting thing in Matthew. I don't have it on the screen here. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want. You can check and make sure it's the same in your Bible. But I'm going to put the words up on the screen here. But there's this interesting teaching Jesus gives in Matthew. As a matter of fact, this is uh, the first passage that come from Jesus' greatest sermon, you might say. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5. And he, he in the middle of the instruction, he, gives, he says this. Uh, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come back with your gift. I want to spend just a minute talking about this passage and, and the context we find it in. Interestingly enough, this statement, which sounds so innocuous, if you remember that you have something against your brother, right? No, that your brother has something against you. If you remember that your brother has something against you, you've got to spend just a minute getting your head around that. This isn't a problem you have with your brother. It's something your brother or sister, Adelphos, has against you, right? There's something that, that, that's a problem. Um, what, what, what's your response be? We see here that it says you're offering a gift at the altar. You've come to worship. You've come to, to sacrifice. You've come to give to the Lord. And in that moment, you remember a brother or sister, Adelphos. You might say believer here. We're going to unpack that a little bit because Adelphos can mean believer. It can also mean sibling, like flesh, like brother, sister, okay? So if you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift and go. What blew me away about this verse, because we've, we've talked about this before, but what blew me about this verse is that when Jesus is talking about this, he's talking about murder. Did you know that? The context of the verse, which you can look up, I would encourage you to look up later. The context of the verse, Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not murder. You should not murder. Do you remember the, the first um, um, uh, sin? Is that right? No, the first sin in the Bible was taking the forbidden fruit. What? The first egregious act was Cain and Abel. It was murder. (laughs) 
was Cain and Abel, and it was murder over an offering to God. Did you know that? It's in the Old Testament. Cain and Abel brought different offerings. And he was jealous of his brother's offering, and so he killed them because the Lord was pleased with one offering and not the other. What is a study to do? So Jesus starts with murder. You heard it said, don't murder. But then Jesus says, but I say, don't be angry. That's the context of this verse. Don't be angry with your brother, or you're guilty of the same sin. Okay, you go, I'm not necessarily angry. Then Jesus says, don't call your brother stupid. <laughs> How many, I don't have any siblings, so I can say I'd never call my brother stupid. But now Adelphos, in the larger context, I might have. <laughs> don't say you fool, right? You can read it in there if you want. But he says, there's this progression from murder to anger to you're stupid, you're a fool. Words, words. And in that context, Jesus said, that, that's the same thing as murdering your brother. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's a high standard. But that's the same thing as murdering your brother, talking ill of someone else. And then Jesus says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, Maybe you've called him a fool. You've called her a fool. Um, maybe, maybe you've been angry. Maybe they're angry with you. Jesus teaches this. He says, in that moment, when you have the realization, Christian, worshiper, believer, you go to your brother and be reconciled. Right? You go and be reconciled to your brother or your sister. So there's this impetus on us to go seek out people that, that we may have wronged to make it right. Okay, one, two, Matthew 18, 15. Again, Jesus is teaching about how we engage. And this is what he says. If your brother sins against you, Go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. You've gained. The word actually says you've gained a brother if that happens. So on the first, I want to point this out. On the first, if your brother has something against you, Christian, believer, you go to your brother and seek to be reconciled. And then here Jesus said, if your brother or sister, Adelphos, has sinned against you, by the way, you might go, well, now, Bill, they're talking about sin here, and then Jesus is talking about sin, but you know, like, the, he was before too. As a matter of fact, the word sin just simply means to miss the mark, right? We talk about um, sin as if it's this other category of thing. Well, it's not that bad. That's exactly what Jesus said about murder versus anger versus talking ill of someone. It's the same thing. He puts it all in one big umbrella called sin. Missing the mark. It's not ideal. It's less than perfect. And it says if, if your brother has missed the mark with you, if they've hurt you, if they've wounded you, then Christian, believer, follower, you go and show them their fault. Just between the two of you, by the way, don't miss that. 
We can't get in. This is, if you've been in church life for a while, this is called a discipline passage. And you know, if you've read it before, there's like steps to discipline. And we're always like, well, what step should we be on? And, you know, I've tried everything. But honestly, I've said it before, and I, I really believe it. We often haven't tried step one, <laughs> which is just the two of you go and have a conversation. <laughs> Why? Because we're afraid. We're afraid to have a hard conversation. You don't want to show up and, and tell a brother or a sister, you sinned against me, do you? I don't. I don't want to do that. I, you don't want to hear what they might say back to you, do you? Because I don't. You might have sinned against them. But if they listen, you've won a brother. All right, check it out. So we put these two verses together, and this is what I'm going to say, that it's a uniquely uh, Christian command that we ought to go have hard conversations. It's part of Christian life. So here they are together. Whoop, I jumped twice. Maybe I pushed, you pushed. Here we go. If you, <laughs> you know, if you remember that your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled. And if your brother sins against you, go and show them their fault. So you see, either way, and we can go on that next slide, either way, the point is that this is a normal part of Christian life, right? That's the truth. It's a normal part of Christian life. And so we shouldn't um, believe that what I'm going to share with you from Ephesians, the letter uh, that Paul wrote to Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, is extraordinary because it's not. It's just Christian living. It's just Christian living, Okay? So, now we're going to go back and we're going to actually look at Ephesians 4. Thank you. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. So you can turn there in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to that passage. And we're going to spend some time here. So as believers, we ought to be going and having hard conversations. And now I'm going to talk through some of the uh, blessings and, and maybe challenges of doing this and what we're really called to do. I want to read verse 7, and then I'm going to read verse 11 through 16, and then we're going to talk about it, okay? Here's verse 7. Man, what a, what a great word. But each one of you, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, I want to skip 8, 9, 10. You, you can be mad at me later, but I just want to jump down to 11 to talk about. We're going to jump over that part. 11. It was he, that's the Christ, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. You've probably heard that before. Verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, okay, until we have all reached unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. Verse 14. At that time, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by every cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. But instead, here it is, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part or each one does its work. 
And so this is right in the middle of all that. And I know Paul is effusive, right? And Paul sometimes is hard to read. But in the middle of all that, you have this verse that says, Instead, speak truth in love. And so that's where we're going to hang everything on. We're going to kind of work out from there. So a couple of things that I want to kind of unpack with you this morning is starting in verse 15, speaking truth in love. What does that mean? What does that mean? I've shared with you before about this, but sometimes there are people who like to say, I just tell the truth, right? I don't care if you like it or not. I don't care if you want to hear it or not. I'm going to tell you the truth. And they're kind of belligerent about it. And that's not what this is speaking to. That's speaking the truth, sure. But not necessarily speaking the truth in love. And, and some people want to say, well, I just want to love people. I don't want to offend nobody. I don't want to have a hard conversation. There's plenty of people telling the truth. I'm just going to love people. But you see, that's not necessarily speaking the truth. That's only loving people. And Paul says, no, there is this way, this way that Jesus taught Christians go out and do this work, that we would go and we would do both. We would speak the truth in love. So what does that mean? My slides are messed up, y'all. You're going to have to bear with me. We're going to go back to uh, one more, that one. And so this is really, I was stunned to find out that this is what this means. It means to, to talk about what is known to you, okay? So when it says speak the truth, I don't know if you're like me, but I was running around with like a big capital T truth thing, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to speak the truth, you know, and it's the truth. And then I started studying this passage this week, and I was looking into it and kind of digging, tearing apart. And I'm like, oh, it means that which is not hidden. That's what the word means. Or that which is common knowledge. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you know this or not, right? But the gospel of Jesus isn't a secret. Did you know that? Like, one crazy thing about Christianity is no one's trying to keep the big secret. You don't go to the 10th level and you find out the truth about Christianity. No, Jesus died for our sins. That's the whole story, right? That's not a secret. And Jesus himself said there's no secret in this. It was revealed in his life and it's coming. God sent me to give my life for you. That's no secret. And so here, the, the word says, say the things that are known to one another. I want to unpack this just for a minute. So what maybe would you think about in your life that's, that's um, not hidden? Th there are times, I said earlier, maybe some relationships. Here, here's my example of this. Um, you're in a family, right? Everyone loves each other most of the time, okay? It's hard. God puts you there for a reason. You're, but more than one of you know there's a problem. You know that, that there's someone that has something to be addressed. Or you know there's, that you have a problem. And you're just like, I'm just going to be holier than Jesus. And I'm not going to say anything about it. But no, it says, make those things known. I don't know if you ever watch those. Um, I'm going to go a little extreme here. But I don't know if you watch those like intervention shows. You ever watch those? They've been on for a while now, right? And the most powerful thing about those shows is you get a bunch of people in the room who know and love and care about one another but can't talk about it. And when they start to say things, they're all like, yes, we all, we've been thinking this for years. This is not good. But they didn't know how to say it. And so literally the intervention is a chance to make it known. But it takes great courage to do it. It takes great conviction to do it. Jesus says to those who believe in him, hey, go. 
be reconciled. Go and show them fault. Paul says, instead, go speak what is known in love. Speak what is known in love. We have these conversations about things that we know and we know we ought to have the conversations about them, right? The truth is this, by the way, and I, I've just come to believe this through Christian living, right? not, not, not through, I just come to believe this through living my life, and maybe your life is different, and that's cool. I mean, but you have to be willing to have hard conversations when you know you need to have them. Because we have that resistance thing in us, do you not? We have that thing and say, well, tomorrow. I'm going to talk about it tomorrow. I'm going to bring it up. But what will invariably happen is the Lord is showing you, believer, follower, Christian, that you need to have this conversation. And when you don't have that conversation, eventually you have that conversation when you don't want to have it. Most of the time after something's going terribly wrong. And you say, I knew I should have brought this up before now. Why did I wait? Maybe you say, well, Bill, that's not true for me. Well, good. It's true for me. Instead, speak the truth in love, right? Instead, go and be reconciled to a brother. I know, I want to say again, I'm empathetic and sympathetic to how hard it is because I feel the struggle myself. But do you grow weary of the inch-deep conversations in your life? And you don't want to go, man, I want change. I want transformation. That's going to take some honesty and some humility from us as believers to go and address what is known. Then the second thing, and that was up there a moment ago, but known and is good for everyone. It's for the good of everyone, right? So you might think, and this is maybe just me again, but broken thinking, you might think, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to show my brother his fault and then my brother or sister will acknowledge that and I'll be right and they'll be wrong and the world will be all good. <laughs> you know, peace will reign. Uh, but many times when you go and you show a brother a fault, they go, well, guess what, man? You got problems too. And you're like, I don't want to hear it. It's good for you. We ought to want to hear it. It's good for everyone. As a matter of fact, Speaking the truth in love means that, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, but you have to be able to unpack what love looks like. How do you know it's loving what you're about to say? We have this kind of squishy, gushy, red Valentine's heart kind of idea of love, but not this like in the trench, bleeding out, caring, sweating, you know, warring for one another's souls kind of love, which I think is agape love. It's much different than the thin version our culture preaches. So we live, we live in fear of these conversations, and yet to have them is a blessing. The Lord, if he's showing you to have a conversation, it's not for your harm, but for your good. Go have the conversation. It's for your good. Don't let fear keep you from being obedient in the conversation. Use your words. All right. So, what does this look like then? And we've pushed here already. We'll jump past that and go to this. Work. <laughs> I want you to point out to you in verse 16. Check it out. As each part of what? Of that body does its work. <laughs> it means exertion, energy. It doesn't come easy. Having these, you might say, well, now wait, that's down below uh, where it says, you know, we're being joined together and every supporting ligament. I'm telling you, 
you know, chop this apart, and what it's saying is every part of the body of Christ has to be willing to do its work so we might grow up and mature in Jesus. We have to do the work. As a matter of fact, if you go back and you look in verse 12, it says, and these, these phrases, I think, just throw us off the scent of what's being said because I've heard this preached about being apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers as roles. But look, verse 12, to prepare God's people for work. Same word. Of service. It means ministry, diakonos. So we're preparing anyone who is appointed by God is called to be preparing the people of God to do the work of God. And that doesn't mean serving on Sunday morning in church. It means the work of a Christian life. It means we're willing to work. Now between those two works, I'm just going to point out again at the risk of being redundant, Paul says, instead, speak truth and love. Speaking words ain't work. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's not exhausting if you don't put much energy into it, right? It's not exhausting if you don't think much about what you're about to say, if you don't spend much time praying, or as the Jacobian, wrestling with God. Am, am, am I really, do you want me to go and do this? Is this what I'm called to do? Do I have to have this conversation? Can you have someone else have this conversation? Maybe have them come to me. That would be great. They're a believer. Have them come to me instead, and then I'll be willing to have it. If you've not spent that energy, maybe it's easy. But if we're going to do it the way Paul exhorts us to do it, it's going to take energy, work. It's going to, the idea is, it's going to have to produce a product, you know. It's going to take effort from us. By the way, I want to point out again in verse 16, the effort is communal in, only in so much as it's individual in the community. You see that? As each individual part does its work. That is in the Greek. Each individual part so if you have one muscle not working, the arms don't work. If you have one part not working, not doing what God is calling that part to do, the whole body doesn't grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Instead. And we're picking on one thing here, I get that. But, you know, at least let's speak truth in love. At least Let's be willing to have a hard conversation for the good of others and ourselves, for the glory of God amongst our people. Instead, let's do the work. I love the, uh, by the way, it literally, it's, uh, energia is the Greek. It literally means energy. It reminds me of the energizer batteries, you know what I mean, with the bunnies, with the psh, 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 right? Like, it's going to take that. And do you know what happens to energizer batteries eventually? They die. <laughs> the commercial says they never stop, but I've had some. They stop, don't they? You just wear out because it's work. It's work. Why do it? We've already talked through this, but we're going to run through this real quick, right? Why do the work? Because it results in maturity, in growth, and in connectedness. Okay? Look in verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who, who is, uh, that is uh, Christ, the head. 
we will grow up into him who is the head, um, maturing. Also, if um, in verse 13, it's in here again. Until we have all reached unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, that's Jesus, and become mature, attain to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. The word actually means perfect. Until we become perfect in Jesus, we're called to do this work. We become mature. We grow up. Again, in verse 15, it says, we will grow into him who is the head. This idea, it means that, um, that you know, you will build. It's, it's, it's much like uh, strength training, you know, literally like strength training in the gym, which we're gonna, that's helpful, isn't it? Because if you go into a gym, you don't go over and put the whole stack on and try. <laughs> well, you might if you want to look like that guy. But you start somewhere. You put the 10-pound thing on. You go, whoop, whoop, whoop. You know, I can do that, <laughs> you know. So, so I want to say, like, if there's this really big, huge thing in your life, and you're like, man, I don't know if I can trust, and Jesus might be calling me, but I'm afraid and all that. Start a conversation and say, hey, you know, I got this thing. I don't think, and just something minor, and you kind of go, hey, that went pretty good. <laughs> I can do that again. And you exercise these muscles. You grow. And then, listen, become mature. I mean, the word picture that Paul gives of whining babies thrown around the sea is not becoming of us as Christians. Not, not being tossed around. And I don't know, you might say, well, that's about false doctrine. But listen, false doctrine is don't tell anybody anything. It's going to be fine. Just let it go, and it'll all work out. That's false doctrine. Instead, speak the truth in love. Go and engage. Have a hard conversation. Risk it with Jesus. This is a, a powerful, powerful thing. And then, I said, it has to do with connectedness. That's in verse 15. From him, that's Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. And I've always read that the other way around, right? I've read that as like, well, Christ is the one that's joining and supporting. I want to kind of slough a lot of this off on Jesus, to be honest with you. I want to say, look, I'm just part of Jesus' body. If he wants to exercise me, he can exercise me. That's his job, right? I'm connected to him. He's the head. He's the brain. He says go, and I'll go, and that's how that works. But here, if you actually read it, it says that the joints and everything is connected to the head, but it's not necessarily about who's empowering Who's making that move? Unless you think that that's false. Look, it says, um, grows and builds itself up. And it's in the Greek. He doesn't build us up. We are built up in him. But we build ourselves up by using his teaching. By doing what the scriptures say to do. Maybe you say to me, Lord, Lord. But do not do what I command. That's in the Bible, isn't it? There's this functionality as believers there's this functionality in the body of christ and we are called to be joined together to connect and to be strengthened in that way there's actually it's funny to me it's redundant it's that there's two different things here and and the the, the first is joined together and it means as a puzzle i i thought about bringing a puzzle today he ever i went by the way i don't know why it always happens at old folks homes they have puzzles out I think it's like some way to make them crazy, maybe. 
I don't know, because you ever go in there? I mean, it seems like a cute idea for a minute, and you see it's like a thousand-piece puzzle. It's been there for like a month, and you're you're just like... (laughs) And you you spend the whole visit like going, I'm going to find this piece. I'm going to find where this piece goes. The word being joined together means that perfect fit. Listen to me. The perfect fit where you belong in the body of Christ, that dovetail spot where those things overlap, you know what I mean? The, the background images all line up and everything comes together. One of the most discouraging things I find is people in the body of Christ, in the church, believing in Jesus and don't think they belong there. This is, no, we're joined together. There's a perfect spot where God's going to mate you into his body and it's going to line up and you're going to exercise your location. You're going to work in that spot. What does that look like? Finding the place where you dovetail with the body of Christ. You just click. And see, it's funny because sometimes I have a tendency to get frustrated. I want to force a piece in. But that's not what it's talking about. That perfectly formed location in the body of Christ where God has ordained you to be and you fit. And then it says being uh, joined together and held together. And that's this idea of knitting or my, my, my more favorite is getting in the boat <laughs> together in the sea. <laughs> getting in the boat and getting off the shore. You're going to try it out. You're going to commit. You're going to be in this lifestyle of following Jesus. You're going to let him direct your paths and not directing the paths yourself. Okay? So we have this opportunity to speak truth and love. Only you can do it. Did you ever think about that? Like, the conversation, maybe right now today, there's already been something in your mind. You're like, man, uh, God, you're talking to me. I don't like when people say, Pastor Bill, you were talking to me today, because it's not me talking to you. It's the Lord talking to us, right? He's talking to me, too. There's that conversation you have to have. Maybe right now you're thinking of it. You're like, I know what conversation he's talking about. I don't know what conversation, but you know, the Lord knows, right? You're uniquely fit for that moment. You're uniquely qualified and called and empowered to do that to fit in that spot and speak truth and love, to begin to exercise maybe a muscle that you've never used before in your life in Jesus. All right. So it's work that results in maturity, growth, and connectedness, and, as I already shared, building ourselves up in love. And I'm going to end with this idea of in love, right? What, What does it mean I'm going to cheat. I'm going to read the, the book answer. Um, just to throw it out there, because this is one of those passages that we often either love or don't love, and we get sick of. And it's 1 Corinthians 13. Ironically, as God would have it, it comes right after Paul's instruction on communion in 12, right? So this is to the body of Christ, and this is what, how Paul defines love. It's patient. It's kind. It's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not proud. Whew, listen. It's not rude. It doesn't seek its own uh, desires or it doesn't seek itself. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And so when you wanna, if you want to do an exercise in this, just write in all those attributes where you find the word love. Instead, speaking the truth in patience and uh where was that patience and kindness not envious not boasting not prideful instead speaking the truth not being prideful right 
There's one. Um, instead, speaking the truth, not seeking your own interests. Instead, speaking the truth, not being rude. Uh, not being easily angered when you speak the truth. It goes on and on. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. Never quits. Right? This is speaking the truth in love. And what does that look like? In, um, as a matter of fact, in 1 John 4.18, the word says this, perfect love drives out fear. So even in going and speaking the truth in love, the love drives out fear of the conversation. We ought to be willing to have it. So, application. What are some things in that we can do? I want to kind of, and this is all kind of rooted in this, in the, and there's more, there's just some like spitballing I was doing, thinking through how we can do this, how we can do this, right? First of all, we need to know our motivation for what we're going to have this conversation. What is it about, right? Our motivation. The second is how we practice it. I'm going to give you some stuff, some ideas. And the third is what results we expect, so those are the three things. There's more, and you can come up with your own list. I would encourage you to reflect on it. Lord, what does it look like to speak the truth in love? So here, on motivation, here's some questions. Why does the other pe person need to have this conversation? Or why do they need to engage? I wouldn't even say hear this. Engage in this conversation. The second one's like it. Why do I want or need to have this conversation? Because sometimes we just want to. We don't need to. Examine our own hearts. So you're already thinking, this is going to be hard to do then. Here, here's one. What good result in my praying comes out of this hard conversation? Are you praying? Are you interested? Um, here's, here's one. Is the conversation I'm about to have worthy of having in front of Jesus? Because I don't know if you know this, but he's with you. And so when we show up for a hard conversation with somebody, whatever we're about to get into ought to be worthy of his attendance of his intercession, of his involvement. So is this conversation elevated to the point that it ought to be had in front of Jesus? Something to think about. Because it would maybe check some stuff in our spirit that's wrong-headed, wrong-minded. Do I trust Jesus and the Holy Spirit to be there during the conversation? So I don't have to have the end just to start. And I need him to go with me when I walk through the door. Those are some questions about motivation. Here, ideas on practice. Normalize having hard conversations. Try to build it into your everyday life. You know, companies do this by having um, annual reviews. Those are hard conversations. I'm sure they would rather not have them, but they put them on the calendar. They have them on a regular basis. I would say you can create rituals that serve as cues for those who are closest to you. We have kind of a running joke in our family. It's not really a joke because it's not ha-ha funny, but we call it come to Jesus meeting. And actually, come to Jesus meetings is a code between Chris and I, which means this meeting is going to be hard. <laughs> We're going to have to have a come to Jesus meeting with so-and-so. We're not, not looking forward to it. We're going to be praying about that. Um, something that we did as a family is we had family meetings. Let's have a family meeting about this. And those kind of things just normalize the experience of hard conversations. Here's something in practice. When you, when you begin to have a come to Jesus meeting... Reflect on what you can own and own it, right? Start there. Lay out the foundation. Uh, we're going to talk about hard today, and we've been thinking about this, and here's some things that we realize we've done wrong. Let that become the foundation for what the conversation you're going to have. Confess the things that God brings to mind, honestly. 
And then another, um, allow others who are in that circle to also institute or invoke a hard conversation. Let your kids come and say, hey, mom, dad, we've got to have a family meeting. Right? Or say to someone, we're going to have to have the come to Jesus meeting. What was that? I worked the uh, hack some food pantry this week and someone said uh, there's one of their staffers and they just inserted her name for the come to Jesus because she has hard conversations with people and they just call them come to that person's name meetings. They know it's going to be hard but good. Wanting good for people. And then the third thing here, a- application. Questions about results. Am I seeking a God-honoring outcome for everyone involved? In other words, am I seeking my own end or God's purposes? Is it most important at the end that I'm right and someone's wrong or that we've had a conversation and we've all been changed? Can we be open to God's work in that way? Will I be satisfied if the results are different than I expected? Right? Maybe you do go with the best of intentions and maybe it does go sideways. Do you still trust that Jesus wanted you to have the conversation? Do you still believe that he can do work in spite of the result being different than you expected? And then the last, I would say, about um, results is, are you willing to love someone anyway if it does not go well? Are you willing to keep fighting the fight, keep giving yourself up, keep sacrificing for someone that they might know the truth and the truth might set them free? See, the truth is that all this is rooted in... uh, Verse 7. This is such a word of encouragement because each one of us, that's you and me, there's no special grace dispensator, you know. Sorry, out of grace today for you. You don't have enough grace to be part of what God's doing. No. Each one of us has been given a charis, charismatic grace, grace as Christ has apportioned it. Grace for the conversations. And we ought to take confidence in that. So, what loving conversations has Christ given you the grace to honestly have in love? Or who in your life needs some honesty? Man, maybe it's you. You know, I need to have some honesty, right? Who in your life needs some love? Just some patient, kind, not boastful, not prideful, never failing love. And who is God bringing to mind right now? Will you pray that Jesus would lead you in that way? Pray with me if you would. Father God, we just thank you so much for the truth of your word. We thank you that you have filled our lungs with air, our minds with thoughts, our hearts with passion, and our body with strength. We pray, Father, that we would manifest the work of your spirit, that we would, we would le- listen to you and obey you and do the work that we might exercise those things. I don't know in this group of folks here this morning what's been brought up. I, I, I'm sure it's a m- bunch of stuff for a lot of people, Father, but we trust you with it. Would you guide us this week into those places? Would you give us the sense of your timing, never too soon, never too late, just at the right moment for the most glory and the most good. Would you let us walk in faith of your timing? Um, I pray for those here who have heard 
this good word about Jesus, who've heard about the blood on the cross but not yet believed, that your spirit would compel them to believe, that they would be set free, free indeed of sin, of the accuser, of the price, and they would be able to serve you in freedom and in love. Father, that we would all find our path there, just loving others, loving you. May you be glorified as you do this work. I pray, Father, that you would uh, just do it for your glory. I pray for those who need to have some courage and have some hard conversations or maybe pray some prayers, they would step out in faith and do it, and that they would move, Father God, by your Spirit. May you be glorified as we seek you together. We pray this work will happen in your time and for your glory and for the good of your church and even the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.